Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. Today's show, I, I like to call this guy, he, he is definitely a, a self-motivator, a self-starter. And to give you a prime example, like he literally just reached out to me within 24 hours and he's on the show the day, the day, the next day. Like most people, they will, oh, maybe next week. But I can tell you that just by meeting him in the last few minutes that he's an action taker. So, uh, you know, I, I always give like whoever I'm interviewing like a, a nickname. So in this case, I'm going to name him the venture capital boss for obvious reason. Rodell, the floor is yours, man. Give our people a little bit of who you are. Oh, man, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the warm welcome. Definitely excited to chat with you. And um, yeah, I am a venture capitalist, new venture capitalist. Uh, my name is Rodell Razor. I just go by Razor. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been, uh, been a nickname since I was a kid. Um, and it's, it's my last name. So it's a built-in nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in the Phoenix area. Um, I'm a husband to one, a father to three boys. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to share a little bit about what we do um, from a from a business and life standpoint. Excited to chat a little bit more about entrepreneurship and uh, life, motivation, self-determination, and things of that nature. Nice, nice, nice. I mean, just with the, when I was looking up, like, just doing, like, my due diligence before, you know, you got on the show, and I'm looking at your last name, and I'm looking at your business partner's last name, and I'm like, the combination <laughs> between both of these guys, right? You have Razor Captain. Like, if you combine yeah. them together, that's like a superhero tag team yeah. name if I ever heard one, right? I, I know. It's uh, it's definitely divine. Uh, we we uh we thought about taking that on tour for a while and uh we were keynote speakers for a little bit and we were both uh, former ball players so we have fun with it but it's uh definitely unique uh you know you can't uh, can't draw it any better i guess in the lifetime movie of us uh it'll be fun <laughs> nice, nice so if uh, going to that right i mean obviously you know you played football you you know, in your earlier days, you're into a venture, you're into like building, you're into like growing capital and into small businesses and, and all these different things, right? But I mean, if you had to define yourself in three to five words, what three to five words would you choose to define you? Mm. Uh, as a phrase or three to five words independently? However you, you however you deem it. However uh, you deem it. What if, just make it work for you. Yeah, I... Uh, I guess as a phrase is I will not quit. Um, I nice. think that deter- that really describes, uh, you know, just been my journey um, from the time I was 10 years old, I became the man of the house. Uh, been working since I was 11, been running a business and, uh, you know, entrepreneurial. I got my first paper out when I was 12. And um, so, yeah, I just been, I've been grinding and working, uh, juggled jobs and, played college football, played professional football. And um, I love to, I do love to work. Um, I love my leisure time as well, but I really love to work. I love to see um, the results of labor. Um, That's one of my favorite things. And I see, I compartmentalize my life that way, whether it's building my family, building on my children, my marriage, um, even my recreational life, whatever it may be. Um, I see it as something that I'm building um, and I get to put blocks on every single day. And so um, I will not quit. Um, I've had plenty of opportunities. Um, at the age of 18, I was a convicted felon, um, lost lots of scholarships and 
Um, so to get where I am with a master's degree, running a venture capital fund, um, you know, playing professional sports, a lot of those things, um, I could have easily been written off. Um, and a lot of stats were stacked against me. Um, and ironically, I work in the statistical analysis world. So um, I know how hard it is to get stats to uh, bend. Um, and so I think that that's something that uh, God's blessed me with, um, the ability to just not quit. I think that's my my favorite quality about myself. Um, nice. God, I think God puts that in a little bit of everyone in life kind of tries to take that out. Um, and I've been fortunate to hold on to mine. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, just, 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 just go into this journey, right? So yeah. football, you're talking about being convicted of something and now mm-hmm. you're talking about raising equity raises and selling corporations like that's a hell of a journey right so let, let's just, just kind of like segment this like football we kind of get this so let's start from the football like how does a football player professionally looking to get into the nfl turn into an equity raising capital fund yeah. individual um so when i was in college um I, i'm a i'm not the biggest guy so my i'm five seven one sixty so you would have thought that I would have had more of a backup plan, uh, but I didn't. I really thought I was going to go to the league, and that was my dream, and had a couple tryouts, and uh, those didn't pan out. Uh, so I played some arena, um, and then I went back and was like, all right, after four years of study, you know, and a lifetime of football and sports, what now? Um, and so I went and got back and got my master's degree. I went and got my MBA uh, for a, a, a number of reasons, but the number one reason I went back and got my MBA because I wanted a I wanted a little bit more of a tangible skill. Um, I wanted something heavier than just football on my resume. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I'm part of the generation where the, the bachelor's degree has been getting more and more watered down. Um, and so I needed something to separate myself. Um, and so that was the motivation behind my master's degree. Got into sales really early on, but I fell in love with a TV show um, about 10, 12 years, probably 12 years ago now, called Shark Tank. Uh, most people are familiar with it. I had no idea what those guys actually did. I just knew that um, I loved uh, watching entrepreneurs' dreams come true. I thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. And so I saw entrepreneurs, like when they when they got a deal on Shark Tank, it felt like draft day. You know, draft, the draft was is this week. Um, and that was a dream I always had as a kid, is hearing my name called in the draft. And so I kind of saw that uh, correlation. I was able to draw that. And I was like, man, like, I don't, I don't really have the aspiration to be one of those entrepreneurs like pitching. I would love to be the person sitting in the chair for whatever reason. That was, you know, I, I just wanted, uh, that was something that I thought was really cool. Um, and I had an opportunity to uh, be a part of a startup. I was a co-founder of a sports, uh, sports performance facility, the mouthful. Um, and that became very successful. And the guy who we partnered with in that was a venture capitalist. Um, and so I was like, okay, so I got a little bit more exposure to that, but where I grew up, you know, venture capital is just not a conversation we have normally. Um, and, and a lot of circles, it's like that. And so, um, it's a very esoteric industry, um, by nature, um, and by design. And so that was when I first got the exposure to it, to answer your question directly. Um, but it wasn't, I, I kind of saw myself as I'm going to climb this ladder of success in life. Um, because that's what I saw, you know, Damon, Mark Cumid, like, so I was kind of watching them from afar and was like, oh, they're super successful. And then they turned around and became investors. Um, and so I went after, uh, entrepreneurship, high level sales jobs to where I could go climb a ladder of success and then be a contributor back to my community and the things that matter to me, uh, whether it was nonprofit investing, 
community building. Um, and then at the height of the social unrest last year, um, I was building a consulting company, me and my business partner. And I just decided like I wanted to do something now. So I got about halfway up that ladder of success mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, like I, I'm not going to wait till I get all the way to the top of this thing to be a better contributor. Um, and so that's when I decided that I was going to, uh, venture into venture capitalists. I'm not a venture capitalist by trade. I don't understand that. I didn't understand the industry. So I've been learning over the last 11, 12 months, uh, aligned myself with some mentors that could teach me the game. Um, and they've been kind enough to do that and sit on our board and advise me as I go into this, um, into this industry that is again, very esoteric, but also very hard to learn from the outside. Um, like I can learn real estate. I can learn, how to go start a gym or a restaurant. I can Google those things. You can't really Google this space. Um, so I really, I've had to take uh, multiple courses and, you know, put my savings and my life uh, into this thing. Um, but I really wanted to be able to facilitate funding to the underrepresented founders who I felt had a lot of talent. Um, Cause I've been that. Um, and I've been a part of some pretty special businesses. Um, and I've seen what, you know, people can do with when they're properly funded. Um, and less than 1% of venture and private equity money go to uh, people of color and women. So uh, it's something that I was incredibly passionate about and knew I was going to pursue at one time. Um, and I, for lack of a better term, uh, the unrest last year just pushed me into action um, maybe before I was <laughs> fully ready. So I mean, I mean that that, that definitely answered the question completely. Yeah. So let's just, let's talk about like your business for a minute, right? So I mean, the name of yeah. your company is X Factor. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, what what is that company going to be utilized from from a standpoint of like a business owner? If I came to you and say, hey, I want to start up, whether it's brick and mortar or I have a con concept for an application or whether I have some kind of new service, and I walk into yeah. your doors or I come online, like, what's the next step? What's your procedures to help me? Oh, man, that's uh, the the most annoying answer to a question is it depends, <laughs> uh, but yeah. it definitely does. But what I'll give you some, uh, some examples um, in the space of, let's say it was a brick and mortar. Let's just say you're going to open a restaurant mm -hmm. um, and you want to open that restaurant and you want to get to uh, three to five locations. You see a big vision for, you know, being a local restaurant, maybe being a national or regional mm -hmm. restaurant. Uh, you have some big plans for what you want to do. Um, but you know that restaurant margins are pretty low. So for you to do that on your own by just profit, it might be a bit tough. Um, or you don't know where to go to start this process or whatever the challenges may be. So my, I, I partnered X Factor Consulting, which is what we were doing before, and transformed that into X Factor Capital. So we were consultants before. So we bring that advisory role uh, to where it's like, okay, let's put together the plan to grow, scale, expand, whatever those plans are. Um, and then let's make sure that it's properly capitalized. And so mm -hmm. we right now look for companies that are already existing uh, because startups, there's so many, um, so many hurdles to jump just to get those first customers. Um, and so we don't, we're right now, we're not per, uh, particularly looking for, you know, a true startup in the sense of like, mm -hmm. no, like an idea, right? It's got to be past idea phase, but let's just say you have something, you're, you've got a food truck or you're selling meals from your home or something like that we go okay well you need a building you need some marketing you need a team um that's going to cost you $150,000 um we can provide that uh through you know our our fund uh which is a group of people who have decided that they want to invest into the things that we've committed to mm -hmm. um 
And so we take those funds, we deploy them to you, we support you in the growth and scale of your company. Um, and whether we take uh, a level of equity in that restaurant, or we have what's called like a revenue share, a revenue share agreement. It's kind of like what they talk about on Shark Tank, where it's kind of like a royalty, where it's mm -hmm. like a percentage of the profit that you generate in that restaurant, you pay back as a loan, as opposed to like a bank loan. A bank loan is what they're going to do, is they're going to want you to put up your house, they're going to run our credit checks. Um, they're not going to help you build your company. Banks don't necessarily, you know, like they're not going to come alongside you and they're not going to try to bring you customers or connections or, you know, help you with your margins or marketing. A bank is just a financial source. So we try to bring capital and connections um, in, in that role. And so those are the, those are the practical things that we do for a business. Hmm. So, I mean, just hearing, hearing you explain the differences between like a bank and, and, and what you guys do and, and to your point, aligning yourself more so on the Shark Tank side of things, right? So going into like the pros and cons, like, I mean, obviously someone could just get angel investments. They could reach out to the community. They can go online and, and, and do like the online investment routes to where, hey, I have a product, you buy into it. I'll give you the first product off the assembly line. Like there's many different options to raise capital in unique ways. So what yeah. is the pros and cons of using your service? So I would say the pros and cons of raising any outside money. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's some, the, the pro is the relationship aspect aspect you bring in experts you bring in uh, a lot of founders like if, if you own that restaurant it's you by yourself you don't have a co-founder you can't afford an entire team mm -hmm. so it's really having that like someone you can call really be able to walk through the business planning with because there's so many nuances and things that you're gonna uh run into as you're building a business i mean you need someone who's been there before and has experience building a company so um i think that's the first uh pro um and then uh, obviously the uh unsecured money um you can give up equity which doesn't technically cost you anything up front uh you can pay back a percentage of um of your revenue um like we don't have to take equity because equity can be very expensive if you turn into the next chick-fil-a right yeah. so uh you give us 30 percent of your company so there's some pros there as well um and then some of the cons is you know as a as a founder you may not need money um you may not need like you may need a better a more crisp plan or more connections or better distribution, you may not necessarily need money right away. And so some people, they seek money because they want to either quit their job and make sure that they're funded. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people are seeking funding. Um, but the number one reason I, you know, tell people is like, hey, you, you just don't need money. You need more customers right now. Um, you go get more customers. You can self-fund this thing. You don't have to give up equity or percentage of your revenue. You can self-capitalize. Um, and some businesses are not, built some businesses are more lifestyle businesses they're not built for venture scale they're not built mm -hmm. to have other hands in the pot um because there's just not enough margins or there's not enough ambition to really grow it into something big um the reason why you know when we when we talk to someone if they don't have a vision for something bigger than you know maybe their neighborhood or their you know their small uh, digital store then we know that we probably can't participate in a meaningful way in the value that we could potentially add, or, you know, there's financially, there's not enough meat on the bone. We would strap the company of resources so that us and our investors could also get paid. So um, there's definitely some pros. Um, and then there's some cons in having people in your business. <laughs> I mean, just being straight up is like, yeah. yeah, now you, now we have a board seat and then we can have um, that can be valuable. And sometimes there's investors out there that don't add value. They, they extract and they're looking to take advantage of founders. 
Um, so you, you definitely want to be safe when you're navigating the, the venture and investing ecosystem. Um, and then as to the crowdfunding, um, those are some great tools, especially if you're a good marketer. Um, if you can get people behind you, if you can get people to move, if you can emotionally move people towards your product or service, crowdfunding is a great source um, because it's, um, it's easier money um, and it's non-accredited investors, less red tape around it, um, less legal fees and things like that. It's money that's easily accessed. Um, but again, it doesn't come with any connection, support, advisory um, in the long run. So if I make an investment today, my goal isn't to just make a $50,000 investment. If I really believe in the investment, the 50 is not what I'm most concerned about. It's, it's the 250 after that. It's the 500 after that. It's the million that we have a relationship to continue to grow and scale your company. Crowdfunding can't do that. Banks won't do that. Um, only venture or you know private equity money will participate in that kind of evolutionary growth. So, I mean, based upon what you said, just to do like a small segment and recap part of that, right? So yeah. in the way your business is structured, you're going to scale, right? You're not just going to be lending money to kind of have a mom and pop, stay a mom and pop. You're trying to right. scale it and grow it. And part of that scaling and growth, if you're asking for an equity raise, then you're looking for the opportunity down the road, possibly to either franchise or sell that business. So yeah. my next question is, is like, when you come in, is your original intents to help someone stage their business more in a selling platform versus just mm. having it as a, a mom and pop situation to kind of lend, yeah. pass down from generation to generation. So there's legacy businesses, there's lifestyle businesses, and then there's scale and exit style businesses. Mm -hmm. I think all three should be built as if you're going to sell. Okay. I think all three, because you just never know, right? If I mm -hmm. come to you and you've been building this restaurant, um, for 10 years, and I offer you 5 million bucks. You do the math, you're like, all right, well, I'm netting at the end of the year, 200,000. That basically gives me 10 years, you know, 15 years of no work. And I get to walk away with the 5 million bucks, whatever. Um, so, and so that's the, that's the foundation is everything should be built as if you're going to sell. But I also know, especially in the black and brown community, we want to build legacy style businesses, right? We want to be, we want to either build businesses to get out of jobs that we're not happy with, um, and go do something for ourselves and, or we want to build something that we can pass on to our children. We're not building something so that there's a lot of investors for massive scale to go multinational. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're building, you know, a lifestyle business to get out of a job and do for yourself, or you want to build a legacy business, they should still be structured legally, um, so that they're ready for sale at any time because you have an asset, uh, just like my home, like you don't want to treat your home terribly because you never know what may happen you may need to put it on the market and if you got busted windows and landscape taken care of there's a lot of work you're going to have to do if you don't do regular maintenance and upkeep it but no the business is the same uh there's no different in that uh you want to build it as if you're going to potentially sell it even if you have no plans and then if you take private money let's say it's x factor comes in mm -hmm. um and we take a piece of equity we can sell back our portion because we helped you grow mm -hmm. we can sell it back to you and it can still be you know, a lifestyle business or a legacy business that you can pass on to your children. You don't have to have any other people um, involved in, in the equation, but outside money allows you to grow faster with more support and mitigate some of your risk. Um, when you're building by yourself, you're taking on all the risk. Um, and I think the, the misconception sometimes um, that I'm finding, you know, just being in this space and just being a founder myself, especially in uh, minority communities is giving up equity feels like a sellout uh, rather than leveraging and partnering. Um, so you're mitigating your risk 
uh, and you're taking part, you're, you're creating more upside. Um, and so we end up sometimes limiting the, the lid and we, we bring it down because we don't want to take that outside money, um, which I understand the, the concept of that. Um, and that's why you want to find the right partner because outside money or venture money, private equity money, it, is, it should be a partnership. Um, you want to decide that you want to be in business with that person. So, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying is definitely insightful, definitely powerful information, and, and it yeah. goes back to educating, right? Being educated in, in, in this particular space. So for, for our listeners, right, I, I want people to really understand what, what you're saying. Um, yep. Let's say there's an opportunity, right, for me to sell my brand, my Boston Cage brand. And obviously, like, that's part of branding and getting it to the stage to where it's a self-sustained business. And someone come knocks on my door and they want to offer me something, right? For me, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity, not necessarily, nah, this is my baby. And I think that is something that right. people have to separate right. their emotional side from creating their business. Yes, it's my brand. Yes, I'm rocking the logo, but I am going, I can sell it for a particular price any day, all day, because I know what I built, I can recreate. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Um, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion in building a business. Um, and I don't want to discount that that emotion is valuable because it helps you wake up every single day and do the hard things. Um, but there is a time and a place for that emotion. Um, and we shouldn't be as entrepreneurs, we shouldn't be so emotionally attached to our business um, because it is, it's an asset. It's a, it's a stock. It's a piece of real estate. It's, you know, it, it's an asset that you're building in. Um, you can have that emotional attachment, but if the, your opportunities for yourself are going to open up a lot more when you just, when you look at it as an asset, you'd be emotionally tied to it, but also be able to emotionally separate yourself from it. That it's not you. Boston Cage is not you. Like that, like that's like extractor is not me. Right. Like, and I hear a lot of like, Hey, this is me. This is my brand. This is my everything. And it's like, that's fine. But if your identity, well, you know, one, there's a lot of danger. They're wrapping your identity in an outside entity. <laughs> uh, that's, that's one, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but your identity isn't wrapped up in that and you built it once and you could build it again and you can leverage um, time. You can leverage uh, the skills of other people, the networks of other people and the capital of other people. When people want to, if someone wants to come in and buy a Boston case, like you should take it as a great compliment. Um, not as an insult. You should be like, man, like I've already done this. I've built this. Like, mm -hmm. I kind of want to go pursue something else. I want to go into real estate investing and I want to go pursue that and go build, you know, a real estate empire. And I can go sell this and use that capital to, to leverage that, right? And, or stay a part of it and be an active member and still be a part of the brand. There's so many creative financing ways um, when you're not emotional that open up. Um, and when you're emotional, it makes it hard for anyone to mm -hmm. work with you. Um, and you end up usually having some type of lid. So if you want to lift the lid, you know, removing some of that emotion will be helpful. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So I think I think you alluded to something else. I mean, just like business structuring, right? So everyone, whether it's international or, 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 or local, they are should be at least an LLC, an S corp, or a C corp. And the reality is, if you have multiple businesses, you should have all three and structure them in, in a particular fashion so you can get the best tax right. benefits. So with the businesses that you're dealing with, I mean, just kind of like I know you're not an attorney, I know that you're not a CPA, but if you're coming into a business, what structures are you looking for when you're looking at the back office? Yeah, when I look at the back office, I think the, the, the thing that a lot of VCs will say is like, hey, I only want to invest in a C or S corp or whatever, right? And, and they, I don't want to touch LLCs. And really, the LLC is a leverage component that the entrepreneur can use to basically write off a lot of the expenses. But mm -hmm. I, have, I have no problem with it. Like, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, my family's an LLC. Like, we, 
Like, I think that that makes sense. So I don't have a lot of attachment to the type of structure personally. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that it is structured, right? I want to make sure like having basic accounting things in place, it makes it easier. But all of those things, if there's a capable operator and a great idea, Mm -hmm. like all of those things can be handled. Um, You know, and even if there's legal issues or accounting issues or tax issues, like the thing about a good enough idea um, is it can overcome some of that through mm. paying the right lawyer, having them clean up some of the mess um, and, you know, getting back to business. And so um, my, my personal experience as an yeah. entrepreneur is like things are not clean, um, mm. especially when you come from uh, different backgrounds or non-traditional backgrounds that mm. not Stanford or Harvard or something like that. Like it's hard to get out of certain places without a few scratches. Mm. Um, and I just think that those structures, um, they can sometimes be, Holdups. If you're looking to buy or sell for the buyer, for me personally, though, it's not it's not a holdup in any way. Um, but you want to be structured in some capacity, a minimum an LLC. But it, you know, talk to an accountant um, or CPA tax specialist to really figure out what makes most sense for you, and then try to spend the money for the entity that makes the most sense. Don't try to uh, don't try to be cheap in those things. Do not be cheap in materials and do not be cheap in legal and tax. <laughs> uh, just don't be cheap, and if you set it up the right way. Uh, mm. based on what your uh, financial, um, you know, the, the financial people in your life, what they, whatever they suggest, mm. um, you set it up the right way, you'll be, you'll be set up good. Okay. So let's just dive back into more like on, on the personal side. Like, so you have a business partnership, right? So, you know, I, I'm, I I'm calling you guys the, the Razor Captains, right? <laughs> in that space, right? Like I, every time I get partnerships, like I like to ask this question, could it kind of like, Obviously, one person could be left brain, another person could be right brain, one person could be A type, the other person could be B type, completely polar opposites or exactly the same and bumping heads. Like, how does yeah. that work in your business, being that you guys are co founders? Man, that's a great question. Um, Jeremiah and I have been in business together off and on for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had some businesses go up, we've had some businesses come down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the one thing that is consistent, I got a, I could tell so many stories about me and Jeremiah, but the one thing that is consistent about um, what I've learned in life is that when bullets start flying, it starts to reveal who people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and Jeremiah have been through some fires together, and I know that he would never leave my side. Um, I know that he's in the foxhole. Mm-hmm. And if I look over at him, you know, there's a term in the streets. Like if I look over and your clip is full, like I know you didn't care, right? Like I want you to empty yeah. the clip. I want you to, I want you to really stand for me. Yeah. And Jeremiah over time and time again um, has proven himself to be a great friend. Hmm. So I think that's the foundation of our business relationship. I know that's not everybody's co-founder relationship, yeah. but our, our co-founding relationship is we are very good friends. He's actually the godfather to my youngest son. Wow. So to, to give you context for how close our relationship mm. has gotten. But it started through business. Mm. Um, and so our, our friendship did start through business. I have other friends that I started businesses with that I was friends with for 20 years. Mm. Um, and so I've done both. Um, but as far as personalities, um, Jeremiah is incredibly creative. He's a great marketer. Um, he's great with branding and identity and style. Um, and those are things that I'm okay at. I'm great with strategy. Um, and we both like to grab onto big visions. Like if there's a lid on something that we're working on, uh, both of us will get uncomfortable. And so I think that's something nice. that we align in, in core values. Um, personally, you know, uh, yeah, just, we align in core values personally. Um, you know, who we are as family men, who we are in our community, mm. the differences we want to make in the world. We have our different ambitions. 
Um, but in our, in our business, we use, we use our businesses and always have as a vehicle to express the things that we want to create in the world. Um, and so, um, all, and we're both type A, we're both alphas. Um, and so that's why we're co-founders, that's why we're 50-50, because we don't want to override one another. Mm. Um, and we want to make sure that everything that we do is for the greater good of the company. Um, and if one day anything ever happened to our business, if X Factor or whatever, like we would end it in a respectful way to where our friendship would even be stronger, right? Like we would make sure that the friendship is um, core. Um, now on the other side of it, we are very different, right? Where I'm very strategic and I want to like, hey, I want to look at deadlines. I want to hmm. put things on and Jeremiah is more on the creative side, right? So he can meet and knows everyone that he's supposed to know. Um, and I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, how do we use this relationship to be functional for us, right? And so, but if I was thinking that way all the time and he wasn't out making those connections, our, our business would have a lid on it and vice versa. So um, we complement each other's skills. We share a lot of the same skills. Um, and I think that that's, you want to find people that I don't think finding your complete opposite is going to be functional in your friendship. <laughs> uh, like something that's so opposite from you, uh, you got to have some aligning values and skill sets. Uh, so you understand the person. I have a, a different level of compassion for Jeremiah's creativity and understanding and empathy, just like he does for me, because he can be strategic when he needs to, and I can be creative in marketing and branding when I need to. So I, we understand each other's values, so we don't step on each other's toes, acting like one job is more important than the other. Hmm. So I mean, based upon that, it seems like both of you kind of have equilibrium, right? There, there's balance within it. So in Absolutely. some business structures, there's not that, right? There may kind of be a solopreneur that's looking for partnerships. And it kind of just gives yep. me, in, diving into the next question, like, what, how would you define an unestimated founder? Like, what, what does that mean to you? Under, underestimated founder. Um, an underestimated founder, it's, uh, it's the underdog. Um, it's the Vince Papalis, right? It's the, it's the guy that, uh, or girl um, that didn't have all the right lily pads to jump in and sometimes they fell in the water but they, kept, they found a way to get back up um and so that's what we define as an under, underestimated founder our uh our company is called x factor capital um and the x represents a couple things uh the first thing is x factor in a game is a game changer it's someone who came in and you know if you think about like dante hall back in the day he came in you kicked him the ball, it was going to the house. You just totally changed the game. Um, and so those game changers in their businesses, game changers in their community. Um, and then the X also stands for multiplier. Mm -hmm. um, so the X is a multiple, uh, it's the multiplier, right? It's the multiplication sign. Um, and so an underestimated founder is someone that not, is not only looking for, um, you know, proving that, you know, they're worthy or proving others wrong. Like that's, that's a small component of it um, and being an underdog, um, but also someone that wants to contribute to others um because and a lot of the reason is because of what they've gone through um they see more opportunity in people uh where some people aren't looking um and so underestimated um or underrepresented whatever the category is um it it happens to be in america usually uh people of color women um and from non-traditional backgrounds whatever that even means um you know that's how maybe the the google would uh, give you that terminology, but uh, really, that's that's what we look for in an underestimated founder is someone who's um, you know been through the school of hard knocks um, and is still finding ways to to strive and succeed. So, I mean, with that, right? So, we, we're gonna go into like like game time technology, right? So, we yeah. have a play, right? And and we have yep. this 
underestimated founder. They've been running plays. They've been getting close. They're in, in within the five yards, right, from the touchdown yep. on a regular basis, but they never could, they never could convert. They always get mm. the fourth, fourth and short every single time. So mm. what systems do you guys have in place when someone has been running these plays over and over again? How do you guys help them cross over that fourth and inches? Man, that's that's great analogy and great question. And um, I think of um, I've always thought of uh, myself more as a Phil Jackson than Michael Jordan. Um, and and I think that that's been you know my gifting to the world. I loved coaching. Um, and Jeremiah and I both come back from sports backgrounds. And I think some of the practical things um, often are um, strategic. Um, it can be definitely strategic. But what I've found, it's mostly up here. If you keep getting to fourth and one and you stop every single time, you get stopped every single time, it's not the play we drew, right? It's, 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 it's usually up here. But being willing enough to say, man, I keep getting stopped at fourth and one, coach. I need some help. Like that's the only time when a coach or, you know, uh, a strategist can come in and really say like, hey, all right, let's, let's drop the play. Let's, let's, put the, let's put the play up on the whiteboard. Okay, that looks good. Um, now, what else could it be if it's not the play, right? Like we blocked the guy, it was you and the, it was you and the opponent right here and met in the hole and you lost, right? Like what's there, right? And so we can dive in a little bit more. And so Jeremiah and I, especially Jeremiah, very, uh, very dense background in emotional intelligence and psychology um, because it's, I believe that's 90% of business. Um, and most underestimated founders have prided themselves on being so mentally tough. Um, but getting over that hump, you just can't do it. You know, Jordan didn't win a championship without uh, Phil. Um, and as great as he was, um, every, every great entrepreneur should have someone um, that they can look to and trust to help them get over that hump. Sometimes it's strategy and the play that we call, um, but often it's someone that's just believing in you and pushing in you um, because you've, t- you've gotten so far as an entrepreneur pushing yourself. You've gotten so far. You're already here, right? Like you've gotten here. Now, that next level is probably going to be a coach. Hmm. Nice, nice. So, I mean, talking about my like, coaching and talking about teammates, right? The perception, like for Jordan, right? The first time someone sees Jordan win a championship, they may have heard his name. They may have followed him when he was in North Carolina. But mm-hmm. the day that he held that damn trophy, everyone was like, who is this guy, right? He became a household right. name. And then he stepped and repeat, did it over and over again, right? But it wasn't an overnight thing. He's been in the game practicing shots like since he was four years old. So the perception of him being an overnight success, the reality, it took him 20 some years to get there. How long have you been on your journey to get to where you currently are? Man. Um, the short answer is 20 years. Hmm. That's the short answer. Um, I, like I said, I, my mom was a single mom. Uh, so to help her make ends meet at, at times, um, my mom worked two, three jobs. So she always made sure that she made ends meet. But there's times where I needed to help. Um, and but if I wanted anything extra, if I wanted yeah. to, you know, rock anything different uh, than the pay less shoes she was able to provide, um, it came out of my own pocket. And so I learned how to do it for self at a really young age. Um, and like I said, I got my first job when I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Rock, Rick Ross says, uh, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym. Uh, like you just, uh, you know, like that's, uh, that's how I look at, you know, success is people mm-hmm. always they look at the home runs and then they forget the strikeouts. Um, they don't realize how long it took to get to where you are. Um, and there's, 
there's a favor that uh, walks over, uh, that watches over the bowl. Um, and I believe that. And so that's why I got that line in the back uh, because the, the, the fortune and the favor uh, leans toward the bowl. Um, and I've been at this for 20 years, um, you know, working 20 plus years. Um, uh, so yeah, probably 22, 23 years working since I was 11 years old. Um, and then um, as an entrepreneur, I've been at it for over a decade. Um, and my first role was a co-founder um, supporting an entrepreneur build his dream. It's one of the top sports performance facilities in the entire world. Um, and I got to be a part of that. You know, I got to be a little, uh, little Phil Jackson, you know, my first role. And I was like, man, like, this is dope. Like, I love doing this. Um, and at that time, he was the one, his name's Tracy. He's a childhood friend. We've known each other for 25 years. Um, at that time, he was like, man, like, you're good at this. Um, and I wasn't the main entrepreneur. I wasn't, I wasn't the Jordan, right? I might've been considered the Pippin, but I saw myself as more the, you know, the Phil Jackson. Um, and he was like, man, you're good at this. And that was really when I got like validation and that was 10 years ago. Um, but it was 12 years ago when I saw a shark tank and I was like, yo, I'm going to do that. I don't know what it's going to take one day. I'm going to be a shark on shark tank. So, um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been 20 years to get to where we are today. I mean, even to even get to a conversation where I'm able to share with the world what we're actually doing. Um, we made the decision 12 months ago when, uh, May, it was May 6th, when I, uh, when I heard about Ahmaud Arbery's murder, um, that's when I was like, yo, I got to do something different. So, I mean, it's been, it's been 12 months, been a year, um, just building the infrastructure, building the, the basic foundation. And we're still not even done building foundation. So it takes time to build anything special. I want people to just kind of listen, listen to what he said, right? And, and correct me if any of my math or my dates are going to be wrong based on my next nah. statement. This nah. man said he's been doing this for 20 something years, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, weren't you in high school in 2005, right? <laughs> I was in high school in 2005. I was when I graduated right. high school, yeah. So think about that, right? Like this man has been on this plan, on this strategy before college, right? Yep. He was in high school. So I want people to really understand it's never too young to step into the space. And it all comes down to having the grit and having the right mindset, which is exactly yeah. what, what he defined. It's, it's having the grit. And I think a lot of that grit came from being on the field, but then the mindset mm -hmm. came from off the field. And then you putting them yeah. both together, you completely have a system that can be replicated and could be scaled at the same time. So I definitely commend you on that. I mean, to think that my son's in high school right now and, you know, he, he's an entrepreneur in his own right, but, you know, obviously I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make his ass sit down and listen to him. Like, dude, he was, he was 18, right? You're short of 18. Think about, think about the distance in time, time overlaps really quickly. Cause I mean, 2005 seems like yesterday, but in reality, that's yeah. damn near 20 years ago. It, it definitely is. And, you know, I think there's, there's two sides to that. You know, like you talked about with your son, it's never too young. My sister's in college. Um, and I think Gen Z is the most entrepreneurial. I mean, I think the greatest world ideas are going to come out of Gen Z. They're so creative and so brilliant. And so like they grew up where YouTube is boring, right? Like they're like, oh yeah, I want to pay for content because all this free stuff is just, it's just a library of free stuff, right? Like they just, they see the world way different than we do. So it's never too young, but it's also never too late. Um, I was running a successful consulting company, um, Jeremiah and myself, like we were making healthy money. Um, and in our mid thirties, we decided to totally change our careers. Um, and so it's never too early. It's also never too late. Like someone would say like, man, like you were having success. Like, why are you going to go into something that most 24 year olds are at, you know, your level of expertise and you're going to be 10 years behind them. And, um, you know, those, those things just never timing is something that social media cares about. I, I, 
entrepreneurs can't care about that stuff. Um, sure. And you can't get caught up in like, oh man, I'm in my late thirties or my forties or my fifties. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to pursue this. Like it's never, it's like, I think even Gary Vee, he was 34 when he started brand building and look at, he's one of the top personal brands in the world. Right. So um, it's never, it's never too early and it's never too late. Um, entrepreneurship um, is an equal opportunity playing field. All right, so let's go into this question, right? If time travel was a reality, right? Considering that this venture of your business structure had just started within the last 12 months, if you could time mm -hmm. travel back anywhere in the past 22, 23 years, what's one thing that you would want to do differently if you could do it all over again? Hmm, that's a great question. One thing um, professionally that I could do different uh, Either or it could, it could be it could be the other yeah. side of the coin, right? That can affect yeah. you on the business side too, right? Yeah. No, I think um, you know I mentioned that that I was um, I had to deal with a conviction when I was 18 years old, and I would uh, the the pain and the the, the trauma of that circumstance mm. was so hard. But I'm so grateful because of what it developed me to be. So I wouldn't mm. remove that one. Um, like that one is like a scar that I like to that I know added value to my life um that was a that was a building worth jumping off um the the one that i would um is when i was in college i was so focused on the nfl um and i wouldn't have changed my focus from being obsessed about what i was committed to because that obsession is valuable um but i would have been more disciplined in balancing that obsession with networking and being intentional with the people that were around me um that i wasn't like it was like all football or all social like i wasn't oh. like my my teachers um you know the classes i was taking the people i was that were sitting around me um i didn't understand the value of that early on um and so when it when the nfl didn't go through i had to like rediscipline myself around my academics um and not that i was ever a terrible student it was just like i was a student that was preparing myself to just go to the next stage of college so that i could get to um you know a good job or nfl and when nfl didn't work out and good job didn't sound like good enough for me i was like oh man like i need to go back and really focus on what i'm what i'm going to go do with the next step so um that would be the one thing i think um of, of others i'm sure but that would be the one thing that i wish um i've learned lessons that were avoidable later in life um as we all do but it was like that was that was just silly man like i could have had easier networks and i made my life harder than it needed to be just because i was so focused on being self-made or whatever it is um so yeah nice nice so this is kind of go into like your your personal history a little bit right so i mean you kind of mentioned your mom earlier did anyone else in your early days have any influence as far as being an entrepreneur? Now, sometimes some people are born into mm -hmm. entrepreneurial families. Some people mm -hmm. are kind of a way of like the rich dad, poor dad model. Like how did you yeah. get, get, you know, influenced by becoming an entrepreneur? So, um, it, the, the loudest voice in my life has always been my mother. Uh, my mom came from nothing herself. Um, and always worked two or three jobs to make ends meet, always had a hustle. Like she would work a job, but then be telling Mary Kay or Avon, like my nice. mom was always hustling. And so hustle came from my mom, absolutely hundred percent. Um, my mom's a super hard worker and, um, the entrepreneurial component, um, you know, I think that 
I'm trying to think of like what, what was the moment that I realized. Um, I know that when I was in the car industry, that's where I started my career. Um, that's where I started like the success of my career was in the car business. Um, and the general manager there and the part owner that, of the dealership I worked at, um, you know, he had one or two dealerships and he just had a different lifestyle. Um, and I just realized that like, man, like this dude, I'm out here sweating on this, on this pavement every day. And he's sitting in a nice office. Like, you know, I, I want to change spots. Um, and so there was some of that where it was like, you know, business owners have always had respect and where I grew up is we didn't see a lot of that in the, uh, you know, in the black community or even in my neighborhood. Like I didn't know a lot of business owners. Um, and so it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't so much an exposure thing as it was like, once I saw it, it was like, Oh, that's where I'm supposed to be. Um, entrepreneurial, um, building something for myself. Um, and I remember the time and you probably do too, where the word entrepreneur was kind of an insult. Uh, it was like, it was like a, way, a fancy way of saying you're unemployed. <laughs> now it's like really sexy and cool. And, uh, so that, that's the generation I came from where I was like, what is an entrepreneur? It sounds like you don't got a job, <laughs> right? Like, um, and so now I, you know, it's hard to even think back that far, but, um, I would say the, one of the, the gentlemen who recruited me into the car business, he was, he's very entrepreneurial. Um, and I saw the success he had in his life and I realized that he could impact more people because of his income that he had, because of the influence that he had. Um, and so if I wanted to have a big impact, I needed to increase those categories. Nice, nice. So, I mean, you brought up your mom a couple of times and you kind of, you just talked about your family earlier. So yeah. how do you currently juggle like your work life with your family life? Um, like someone's juggling chainsaws. <laughs> you try to do your best not to drop one. Um, yeah, no, I think um, my family comes first. They are, they're the reason why I hustled. My, you know, my mom and my sister, we were so tight. Um, me and my dad have a great relationship. Um, and so my family is literally why I grind. And so I think there's a time when you're hustling that you get addicted to the hustle and not the reason why you hustle. Um, and so like I've made a pact to myself that if I will not, unless it's absolutely necessary, I will not miss a sports game. Cause my mom did, she raised four kids on her own. I got my wife, I got three kids. So, and I have more resources. So like, if she can make it to every single game, there's no way I can't. And so, um, there's that kind of apple doesn't fall far from the tree, um, legacy that my mom has left in the way she raised us. Um, but I also have a great partner. My wife is incredible. She's incredibly supportive. Um, she loves the entrepreneurial grind. She's an entrepreneur herself. Um, and so those things make it easier. Um, but I think the, the first things first is um, I, a lot of people say they grind for their family, but then they never see them. And that's okay if that's where you're at and that's what you have, that's what you have to do to make ends meet. Um, but for me, I wanted my grind to allow me to have more with my family, more experiences, more time, more travel, more access, more relationships, more education. I wanted more for all of us, not just I wanted to go build something really big so that they were able to have a lot. Um, like there's different philosophies. And my philosophy was I wanted to build something that we could enjoy together. Nice, nice. But see, I mean, obviously, you still got like the football training mentality and it's very structured. Mm -hmm. So that I mean, that leads me to ask you, like, what does your morning routine, your morning habits look like? Every single morning, um, I wake up and I do, I, I read scripture. 
Um, I read a, a chapter or so. Um, right now I'm in the book of John. Um, and, but that's the first thing I do when I open my eyes. Um, and then I come into my office and I do a men's accountability call. We do a quick call every single morning for about 15 minutes mm-hmm. uh, where we just go around the horn. We talk about plans for the day, goals for the week, wins, whatever it is. Um, and it just gets your brain ready to go attack the day. Um, and the next thing I do is I go, I take my kids. Um, my wife is packing them up. I go jump in the car with them. I drop them off at school, give them a kiss. I hit the gym and I come back and work. Um, and all of those things, I, I don't like to do any of them without the other. Like I won't just do the accountability call and then not hit the gym or not take my kids to school. Like it's really that perfect balance of I start my day in that first hour. I do all the things that are important to me, my personal, mental, uh, and spiritual health, my accountability and structure, my family, my health. And then I get to business, right? So I, I set my day, my week, my life up um, for in, the, in the ways that my life uh, matters to me. Um, and so I do that every single morning. Every morning from 6 to 9.30 looks exactly the same. It's nice. I mean, you definitely fall under the category of people that um, entrepreneurs and business owners that are on a success path that essentially read some form of book. And because of that, I created um, the Boston Cage Book Club. So this next Very question cool. kind of stems into like the books, right? And you're saying the Bible is obviously a core book that you read religiously yep. on a day to day basis. Yep. But on your yep. journey, right, it's a three part question. What books helped you on your first part of your journey to get you to where you are? What mm. books are you reading currently right now? And have you authored any books yourself as of yet? Um, book that really transformed, there's two that really rocked me, um, is a book called, it's going to sound a little bit weird, but a book called The Secret. Um, and when that book was released, mm-hmm. before like mass internet to what it is now, social media is not, you know, it's a whole different machine now. Um, where everybody's talking about the books they're reading and all that. Like it, it wasn't like that. It was, um, but someone gave me that book when I was 24, but I didn't read it until I was 27. Um, and they said, oh, I think you'll like this book. And it kind of looks at Da Vinci Code. I don't know if you remember like the, what the physical yeah. book looks like. Yeah. It, looks, it looks a little bit different. You're kind of yeah. like, oh, I, don't, I don't think I'm being into that, right? Um, and so I didn't touch it for three years. And then I finally read it and they were like, it was, it was validation that the way I was already living my life, mm-hmm. that the magnet that I felt like I was good and bad, um or good in lessons was um it was validated in that book um whether it was you know you take it from a metaphysical or spiritual whatever the however you want to define that i thought they did a good job of that Mm -hmm. of like really articulating like the things that you want in your life like you you bring them closer to you by your work um and by your intention and so um and so that one really rocked me um and definitely added a ton of value to my life and the other one is grant cardone's 10x rule uh grant cardone is uh is insane um and i love dude uh because he he really he really lives that and in that book you if you want to go build something um he articulates that the foundation of the 10x rule is that anything you want in life is going to take 10 times the effort that you think 10 times the money 10 times the resources 10 times like it's going to take 10 times longer like everyone's like oh you're gonna go build a venture capital fund that may take you know six to 12 months it's like yeah i'm probably gonna be it's probably gonna take me eight years to get what i actually have in my mind um it's gonna take more time and that book sets you up for the endurance that you need to go run this race but also know that it's not just a jog like even a marathon is timed 
um, like you're still running as fast as you can, but you're trying to pace yourself because this is a long journey. Uh, so those two books definitely rock me. Um, the the second question was, what am I reading right now? Yep. Um, and the book I'm reading right now is Blitzscale um, by the founder of LinkedIn, I think is what he founded. Um, and it's just a book that's really talking about, you know, expanding your vision for the type of business that you want to build and how these big companies that we see, the Apple, the Teslas and all that, how they actually did it. Um, like it wasn't, it wasn't hocus pocus magic. There is a level of luck in it. Um, but there's, there's strategy to it. And I love the strategy part of it. And he breaks it all down. So, nice. and you can take it to even small style companies. Um, but my favorite book that I've most recently read, I'm gonna give a bonus, um, is, um, geez, I can't remember the name of it now. I'll come back to it. I have not authored a book though. Um, I have not yet authored a book. I wrote a book over the span of a weekend with my friends. Uh, Janine Hernandez, she's an author coach. Um, and she was like, well, just write the book. And I was like, okay. And so I wrote it over the weekend. I haven't published it or pushed it or anything like that. Mm. Um, but I wrote it was about a hundred pages that I wrote, um, in about two and a half days. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I'll say get, get it out, man. Push it out. I mean, the books are just nothing yeah. more than lead magnets and, and they're the tips of the iceberg. So once you start writing books, it becomes like when I wrote my first book, it was kind of like, okay, I wrote a book. Then I wrote a second one. And like, now I'm about to release my eighth book. So it just kind of becomes wow. more of like eight a life stocks. Yeah. But it's all strategy, right? It comes down to strategy. You, you hear eight books and you're like, that, that's a lot of writing. But if you strategize everything and you, you kind of segment it out into particular nuggets, you could write a book every single month if you choose to. Wow. No, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's wild, man. That, that's, and I commend you for that. Cause it, it like you said, it's, whether it's your morning routine, whether it's, you know, your children or whatever, it takes a level of discipline to accomplish anything meaningful. Um, and so to write eight books, man, yeah, hats off to you for that. For sure. For sure. So, I mean, going into, I mean, you're still a young guy, right? So where do you see yourself in 20 years from now? I see myself 20 years from now. Um, I see myself doing, I pray that I see myself doing a lot of the things that I'm doing today um, with, um, with an increased amount of abundance and wisdom. Um, And um, I think if between now and then, if I can acquire wisdom, um, then everything else will be fine. Um, and if, if I look back 20 years, the only, the only thing that was really missing was wisdom and, um, and wisdom comes to experience. Wisdom comes through a lot of different things. And, um, and I think, you know, 20 years from now, if I can have wisdom, um, I'll have everything that I need, um, because I'll make the right choices based on uh, my values. Um, but as far as career wise, um, I believe the X factor in the next 20 years um, is going to be one of the larger venture private equity lending firms. We're going to lead the country um, in investing into underrepresented founders. Um, and that's our target. That's our goal. And that's what we're going to accomplish. So when we talk in 20 years, we'll rewind this tape and we'll say, Hey, he said he was going to do it. And he did. Um, and it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be like, wow, surprised because there were things I was talking about 10 years ago that I'm doing now. And like, again, go back to the secret, right? Or, you know, whether you're a person of faith or whatever, it's like you speak things right into existence. And so um, I know what 20 years from now looks like. I don't know, um, I tweeted the other day, I said, um, you know, I don't always understand the shipping or the tracking information, but the package always seems to come exactly what I need and when I need it. Um, And so, um, yeah, I see in 20 years, we're gonna have a a really big firm. Um, My kids will be graduated and gone by then. Uh, so my wife really wants to travel the world. 
Um, she loves watching uh, the Netflix shows where they're like going all over the different parts of the world. So she's, that's her, uh, that's her manifesting her future right nice. there. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, with your system that's set up and you say you're building infrastructure, what softwares are you guys currently using that you would not be able to do what you do without? Zoom. Absolutely. Um, hundred percent. Um, any Google, I love the Google ecosystem. Mm. Um, the docs, the sheets, the slides, um, even, uh, hangout, you know, meetups. Mm. Those are, those are somewhat useful. They're not as good as zoom, but, um, those are, and then things like on a, uh, on a functional basis outside of like meetings is things like Canva, um like i use that a lot um because i like to design my own things even if i don't publish it i like to design it myself and get it to the person who really knows so they can see the idea because I, I don't articulate as well um but i use canva a lot um i use a lot of social media platforms so you look at apps like instagram twitter facebook um and then the other one that i've been using a lot of um lately is fiber um, that's a, that's a app and a function in a marketplace. Um, that's been really valuable for, uh, not only us, I see myself using it a lot for the founders that I meet when they want to send over a pitch deck or they want to, um, design something, they want to change their brand, their logo. Um, and going to these big agencies is, is very expensive for founders. So, uh, Fiverr, you can, you can negotiate one, which I like to do. Um, and you can uh, find people with reviews and backgrounds and things like that. You can go find who you're looking for from all over the world. Uh, you contribute to the global economy, which I think is a good thing. Um, and you can get things for what they cost in America. You can get them done um, at equal quality um, from someone who, um, you know, 10, 20, $30, you know, feeds them for two weeks. Um, and so, you know, you can add a lot of value in that way as well. Nice, nice, nice. So, I mean, go, going into like final words of wisdom, and let's say I'm a new startup founder and, you know, I'm, I don't even understand what a blind spot is as a founder, right? Mm. And let's say I'm like 25 years old, I just graduated and I'm starting up. Like what words of wisdom and insight would you give to me? I would say the thing that is on your side is time and so be patient in everything that you're building take advice from people who have been where you want to go and ignore anyone who hasn't <laughs> um it, in your journey there's a lot of people that want to give you advice that aren't necessarily qualified um to give you that advice and they're they're well-meaning people um you know friends and family are, are love you a lot um, but if you're an entrepreneur, if, if they have not built a business, they don't, they don't know. Um, I have no idea what it's like to give birth to a child. Hmm. I, I've watched it, but I have no idea what it's like to give birth to a child. I have no, I have no clue. I'm not saying that the two are equal, you know, giving birth is much, much harder than building a business. Um, but I, I just couldn't give anyone real advice on how to go through it. Hmm. Um, that was meaningful to them. There's more experts out there that have gone through it um, that could add value. And so, um, if you go to people that have built something that you admire, um, ask them the questions and then be very patient with yourself. Um, 
like don't push yourself to deadlines that are unnecessary just because you want to be the youngest to do something. I think that was a common mistake. I always wanted to be like the youngest to do this or the youngest to do that. And I was, that's just, um, it's not a race. Um, yeah, it looks good on Forbes or whatever, but um, it, that's where a lot of people quit um, is because they have these false deadlines um, that they needed to do before they were 25, before they were 30, before they were 35, they have these deadlines. And then they watch social media and people are, you know, holding up trophies. Um, and then they stop going to the gym. Um, and you know, you gotta be patient with yourself. If you really believe in yourself, um, then surround yourself by people who have built something significant, um, and have peers that align, um, with where you're trying to go. And that may be hard if you're 25, 28, uh, maybe hard. So it might be lonely for a little bit, but, um, you'll start to attract the people around you um, and keep those friends as friends. Um, but your colleagues as an entrepreneur become other entrepreneurs. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think to, to add on to your point, I mean, the whole race thing, I think if you're constantly achieving and striving and, and going back to like the secret and the rules of attraction, and you're constantly on that path, look to people like Ray Kroc, for example, Ray Kroc didn't really make any of his wealth, any of his money or anything until he was well into his sixties. And I want people to really right. understand that you could be 20, 30, 40. That's still a whole lifetime before you even hit that 60, 65 mark. And again, yep. Ray Kroc was one of the richest, wealthiest people we had. And if he was still alive till this day, I mean, think about McDonald's and the franchising model of owning real estate that they own in today's world. He yeah. did it in the 60s, right? So I think I definitely commend you for, for, for stating that it's a, it's a clear fact, right? So, I mean, how could people get in contact with you? I mean, like, what's your social media profiles, your website? I mean, do you have any offers for our listeners? Um, you know, one of the things that I, I'd love uh, for anyone who's listening is uh, to reach out if something um, in this podcast, you know, touched you, inspired you, whatever it may be. Um, reach out, you know, I love responding and talking to people. I love hearing entrepreneurial journeys. Um, you know, Boston cage is a platform obviously where mm -hmm. people come and tell their stories. Um, and so the, the stories that we get to connect with, um, are so meaningful. So I would love for anyone who's listening to this, reach out to me. Best way to reach out to me is on Instagram of all places. Um, I'm a millennial. And so that's where I do a lot of my networking. Um, LinkedIn, I'll probably check a couple times a week. Uh, email, I check frequently, but I have to prioritize the most urgent things in that thread. Uh, so the threads that are more social like this, um, definitely social media is a, is a great way to reach out. Follow uh, at Rodell Razor, R O D as in David, E as in Elephant, L L, Razor, just like the blade. Um, so at Rodell Razor on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then um, for those of you guys that do want to reach out via email, you want to submit, um, you know, a pitch or, um, you know, I'll make it open to all your uh, audience. They want to submit a pitch. They want to compete in our next pitch competition or they want to be evaluated for funding. Um, they can find us at our website, which is xfactor.capital. So just xfactor.capital. So, I mean, you just brought up pitch, right? So let's just, just talk about that, you know, if, for, for a couple of minutes. Like, what are you guys looking for? I mean, like, how is a pitch structured? And I'm, I'm thinking it from a standpoint of, let's say, because you and I, we understand it, right? But somebody that's right. listening that's brand new into the space, like, mm -hmm. what, what goes into a pitch deck? Um, a deck and a presentation um, should not be exactly the same. That's the first. Um, is if it's on the deck, I'll read it. Um, and if it's not on the deck I, and you have, and it's important, you, you have to share it. Um, decks can't relay emotion. Um, and a lot of business and sales is emotion. Um, and so I like to put 
things on the deck that are analytical stats, your total market, your, your sales, things like that. Um, and then the storytelling is in the art of, you know, you sharing it, uh, whether that be a video, you know, you keep uploaded on YouTube so you can tell your company story and your background and your visions for the future. Um, and then put the analytics on, because um, I talk about this a lot in pitching um, is there's a, most people are either right brain or left brain, right? Like they're one or the other, right? Um, and so a very, um, eccentric individual will just talk about the visions and the goals and everything they went through to get where they are, mm-hmm. but they won't give me any of the analytics, right? They got to talk to my, they got to talk to my heart. Like you got to grab my heart, but I, mm-hmm. I also need some, to make an investment decision. I need some analytics. So you got to mm-hmm. talk to my head as well. And so then there's some people that will just go through analytics and just sound like it's an encyclopedia. Um, and they won't bring any emotion. So yeah, I trust that they know their numbers, Mm-hmm. But do I, do I feel compelled that they're going to lead an army toward the charge of the future, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you want to find a balance between the two of those. And so that's kind of a, a high-level answer. And then as far as practicality, what's on it, um, you want to share your team. Uh, you want to share your product, your traction, your market, your, your target market and the available market. Um, and your one common thing that I see is people don't really understand how big or small their actual market is. That takes market research, um, real market research. Um, and they also don't know that the market actually wants their product. They haven't mm-hmm. validated that their target market actually wants a product. That's called product market fit. Um, and then the third thing is their go-to-market strategy. How are you actually going to get to the people, prove that they want it, and then continue to sell it to them? Um, and so those are some things that I like to hear that I like to uh, grab out of a, a deck and I, or, um, out of a presentation and those things, let me go because person either knows where they're going and they understand the, the challenges ahead of them and they know what they don't know, um, or they're so high on what they have that they think that there's not going to be any obstacles in the way and they have no context for how hard uh, this journey is going to be. Um, so you want to find that balance between speaking to capturing people with a heart message, but also delivering the analytics to mm. speak to the head so that people can um, make an investment decision or a buying decision. Um, because I can't know, you know, Boston and Cage could have, let's say you have a hoodie and you can tell me all the background of the hoodie. I can't actually buy it and take it to the number. I just can't. Like, I can't actually finalize the transaction. So you tell me how much it costs. Um, at some point, we got to get to the analytics. Um, and mm. so just remembering those things. Nice, nice. And I think you bring up a good point. And I think for any business owner that that you have to be structured, even though you're not you if you're not there intellectually, as far as like, I would deem myself 50% analytical, 50% creative, just because of my background, and I've grown into that, right. But so if you're right. not 50 50, and if you're more 75 25, then that other side needs to be at 100%. So you need to find someone comparable to fill in that void. And from based upon what right. you're saying, like you guys can step into that space. So if you have someone that's more 75 25 analytical, then you guys can kind of step in on the creative side and fill in that void and become a complete right. system and unit together right. to grow and to scale to move forward. So I definitely right. appreciate you saying that. Um, so yeah, no, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people that um, they they do want to, like they watch Shark Tank and they think like mm. pitching, a, a, you know, that like someone's like against you. And I think that's, mm. a, it, it's not like it, it is a ventures or an investor's job to say no. Like they, we say no all the time. That's what we do. But it should be, I think the profession should be no, but here's my feedback. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like here's some things that I have that I think can add value to you. And so, you know, you're, you're very uh, passionate about your product. You want to go study some more of the analytics. I mean, go find an investor in this category, right? Like try to give that, that nuance of support uh, because most solo founders, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. They can't see their own blind spots. Nice. Nice. So going into like a bonus question, right? Yeah. If you, if you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive uninterrupted for that 24 hour period, who would it be and why? So without this being a, a religious conversation, it would be Jesus. Um, and outside of my religious beliefs, uh, the reason why I would choose him is um, as a human, this dude walked the earth, shared a message, enrolled people in that message, and is part of the best-selling book in the world. <laughs> um, and so I think that he's the topic of discussion of the number one book selling in the world. Um, and he's, his legacy, believe it or not, his legacy has lived on, um, whether you've decided that he's yours or not, like the the legacy of what the human that was here, walked the earth for miracles, um, was all human and all God. Um, I think that represents what my belief system is, is that we are all human. Uh, we are all gods. Um, and so I think that spending the, the time with someone that's done such incredible things everyone talks about um, and has created uh, meaning beyond himself. Um, and his message was about purity and contribution and love and peace and things like that, because my natural would probably want to like sit with someone that could leverage like all the things that like I can get to the next step. That's like what my, my achiever brain wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to go back to your answer of like 20 years from now, what do, where do I see myself? It's like, I just want to acquire more wisdom. Um, and I could do that in 24 hours if I sat with the right person. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, and, and based upon your response, I mean, looking at Jesus, I, I think anyone that's an influencer or a marketer is like, he is the great, 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 great grandfather of both of those disciplines, hands down period, because it's been, he's been doing it the longest, right? The longest. Yep. Doing so, it, doing, his message is the original, this will live beyond me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we are yeah. all trying to build something that will, live, that will live beyond ourselves. And his mm. message yeah, absolutely does. So. Nice, nice. So going into closing, man, every time I, I have an interview, right, I like to give the microphone to the person I'm interviewing. So you can ask me any questions that may have come up that you may have thought about yeah. during our conversation. So the floor is yours. Do you have yeah. any questions for me? No, you know, I think one of the questions I would ask is what, what really inspired you to create this platform? Why podcast? Why interview style? Why the name? Like what made you use this vehicle? Because there's so many vehicles to get your word and message and purpose out to the world. Why did you choose this vehicle? Because the reason why I ask that, I'll preface it, is because I've done a lot of interviews um, and not so many people take the podcast that they do as professionally as you do. And so you brought a lot of uh, valuable Q&A, but even the, the process before, I kind of knew what I was going to get into. Mm-hmm. Just like I knew I was going to rock with you before I even met you because of the discipline that you showed in setting up, not your funnel, but your processes, mm-hmm. um, the video you sent me and things like that. So why did you choose this channel? Because you're incredibly talented and you could have chosen any channel. What made you choose this one? Well, your point, right? Um, this is not my first channel of communication, right? I mean, it's not my first business as well. I originally had a business called Cerebral 360 
And I, I created that coming out of college. And it was my original degrees was graphic design and web design. And I was more of a creator, like more of that one side of the brain, not realizing and not owning up to, I'm also highly analytical. Hence why now I've embraced 50-50. So on that journey, I was building this brand and in, in, in the marketing, I had clients and doing all the stuff and helping people. And then I was growing businesses upon businesses upon businesses. I became a life insurance agent. I got my series six and became more on the investment side. I became a travel agent because to, like what you said, I was eager for more information. And also I was a single parent at the time. And I wanted to teach my son about all these different disciplines to give him the greatest opportunities. So when he became of age, he had something to look at and say, okay, my dad influenced me here. He showed me this. And this is the one component that I want to utilize. Unfortunately, mm. on that journey, overworking myself to debt and working all these hours, I had a stroke in 2018. Mm. So, so once I had that stroke and I was in the hospital and I woke up and my family's there and I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, I almost died. And what was my legacy that I was going to leave behind? Yeah, I had Super Bowl 360 and I had all these different things, but I didn't leave the, the step-by-step procedures and the breadcrumbs on how to execute mm. what I was doing in that business. So after that, I was like, okay, I have to kind of reinvent myself. I had to go through recovery. And in that process, I was like, okay, I'm going to go into, you know, with my my wife, she was like, it's time for you to step from in the shadows and step in front of the camera. So that was always a behind the scenes kind of guy behind the, the man behind the mask, right? So then I decided yeah. to step in front of the camera and I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything I'm doing for everyone else for myself. I'm going to create a brand new brand, Boston Cage. What does this brand represent? Well, first of all, it's an easy name to remember, first and foremost, right? It's easy for a five-year-old to spell, secondly, right? These are like core principles for design. And then what does it really mean? So on one hand, being a boss, you could be an entrepreneur, you could be a small business owner, you could be working for someone with your side hustle. All these are linear definitions of being a boss, but the uncaged part is that you want to scale. You want to break out. You want to leave corporate America. You want to leave your nine to five. You want to be 100% free. And you're breaking out the cage of becoming a boss uncaged. So that's the mm. definition of that. And then the interview style was more so, how do I maximize and scale this business structure? Well, there's only one way for me to do that. It's to talk to business owners like yourself. Again, I'm 50-50, so I have multiple different disciplines, and I can speak and hold my own with anyone, but you're the profession in your area of expertise. So what does mm -hmm. that look like 20 years from now? This podcast leaves behind a legacy that goes back to my original brand of giving my family and other business owners the breadcrumbs to connect the dots between the service and the stories to get them from point A to point B. That's really powerful. Um, you know, and again, I think every um every beautiful story has that that moment um and you know it sounds like that stroke was definitely uh something that kind of uh brought you brought you to right of like hey yeah. like i'm there's something i could be doing different here um you mentioned something that uh resonated with me i was a single father when i first started my entrepreneurial mm. journey as well um and the, the challenges of that um that only we could know right um talk talk i would love to hear your feedback yeah. on that because um, that's not a common story of like mm -hmm. single, especially single father. Um, like we do hear the single mother, few single mother hero stories. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about like what you learned in that process of building a business, uh, and trying to juggle being, you know, you had to be a present father for, mm -hmm. you know, because of your role in their life. I mean, yeah, in my son's early days, man, like through elementary school, it was crazy. Cause I was, you know, I was a PTA president, which was like unheard of. First, I was male and black. 
PTA president, right? <laughs> right? So think about think about that dynamic, right? So I was PTA yeah. president, and then also he was a Boy Scout, and then I was like an assistant den leader at, at the same time as well. So and, and at the same time, it was kind of like the real dawn of my entrepreneurial side because, you know, I had to go through a custody battle, went through divorce, and then I was faced with the reality that I, I had primary full custody of my son. So I was like, well, shit, this is the opportunity for me to say yeah. hell with a corporate America. So I left my full-time job, and I had strategies in place, but I went 100% 100% remote. And that was like 10, 12 years ago. And I haven't yep. turned back since. So that gave me an opportunity to kind of just jump the jump and just commit to it. And then I had to raise a kid at the same time. So everywhere I went, if I was going to a meeting, if I was going to a conference in North Carolina, if I was going to New York, that dude was right there with me the entire step, every single step. So he saw all these different opportunities. And to the point now, like the, the I've said, I've kind of built it to the where now he's reached out to me. He said, Hey, now I want to get into stocks. I want to learn futures. I want to learn Forex. So I'm committed to kind of putting him in that space and put him in that environment because of all the things that I've done. That's the one thing that he's reached out to. So it's been working. I've been on that right journey and I won't be able to see the results of it until later on. But to your point, it's honing and nurturing and building it much like, like you, like we see mothers do dads can do it as well too. If you're hundred percent committed in the end result. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's beautiful, man. And I love that you're, you know, you're raising a young black man to be entrepreneurial. Uh, so hats off to you for that. And uh, it's beautiful to hear the the story and the journey. Um, my son, my son's still, my kids are still pretty young, uh, eight, six, and two. Um, nice. And to know, you know, to hear you kind of articulate like, hey, they see the hustle, they don't know what it is yet, but they will come to to respect it and desire it for themselves. Um, that gives me hope, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Well, I appreciate you taking time about your schedule. I mean, again, going back to the credit of who you are, I mean, like literally you reached out less than 24 hours ago and it's like now we have like this unsound brotherhood because like, to your point, I think there's some synergy definitely between us and I think this relationship and the businesses that we have can definitely grow and move forward and that's what this whole thing about communication and about building community is really about. So I appreciate you being on the show today. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me. This has been a real treat and um you know, as much as you're commending me for reaching out within 24 hours, you responded uh, very quickly and you made you made the time available. Um, this is something that I committed to. My wife said, hey, you know, because I'm trying to think of ways I can be more of a contributor in my own world. And I was like, she's like, well, you need to do some free coaching calls because you don't consult anymore. You need to jump on a few podcasts and share your knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so, I'll, and whenever I hear a great idea, I try to take a proceeding action. And so I reached out right away. I think it was like midnight, probably I was laying in bed. Um, and I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, and I set up some appointments. Um, I, you know, I got some, I got a few consulting calls I'll be doing over the weekend. Nice. Uh, Cause it's something I committed to, to be a, you know, a greater contributor. So I appreciate you having me and you making the time so quickly. Right, very, very, I definitely appreciate it. And, and to your point, I mean, having a significant other makes all the change in the world too. I mean, being a strong individual is great, but when you find the other half and you guys come together as a whole and you have that support team, yeah. it's a game changer. Yeah, it's a game, game changer. changer. Uh, that, uh, a spouse that's, that's down for you, man, is, mm. <laughs> uh, man, because it, it can be both ways. And uh, what, if you want to build, you got to build either way. But having someone that sees the vision the way you see it um, is very rare. So nice. nice. Well, again, man, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. SA Grant over and out. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. 
If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.